Welcome to Concordia Journal Currents. My name is Leopoldo Sanchez, and I'm an associate professor of systematic theology here at Concordia Seminary and the director of our Center for Hispanic Studies. And I have the privilege to have with me here Reverend Gregory Klutz, who uh, came to the seminary as our seventh uh, CHS annual speaker uh, for the lecture on Hispanic Latino Theology and Missions. So thank you for coming, and welcome back to your alma mater, Concordia Seminary. Thanks for inviting me, Leo. Glad to be here. And um, you bring with you a background in missionary work, a background as a, a teacher. Tell us a little bit about your journey in all these areas uh, and what you do today. Uh, give us a little sense of that. I uh, graduated Concordia Seminary here in 1984 and began as a church planner in David, Chiriqui, in Panama, and then went to Venezuela as theological educator and Guatemala as well. That was 20 years span from 1980 to 2000. And then returned and started a doctoral program at Indiana University in um, folklore and ethnomusicology, looking at studying aesthetics within culture and how those communicate, particularly music and semiotics of music, and um, taught at uh, Concordia Theological Seminary from 2000 to 2004 in their missiology department in areas of contextualization, world religions, and gospel and media use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you came to the seminary to talk to us about dealing with culture in theological formation. Mm -hmm. You spent 20 years as a missionary in Latin America. You mentioned Chiriqui. My, my family uh, is from Chiriqui on my father's side of the, of the family. So it's a small uh, world. <laughs> but I bet those were really formative experiences for you. Yeah, they were. I, I did my vicarage in Guatemala two years before that, and um, but in in Panama is where I really had to encounter what we would call culture, but basically a significant difference in communication being understood. So it was kind of knowing Spanish, but then having to make it understandable and applicable in context. So it was quite a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just uh, got done listening to your lecture, Dealing with Culture in Theological Formation, uh, which will be uh, published in the summer issue of Concordia Journal, year 2012, which happens to be the 25th anniversary of our Center for Hispanic Studies uh, as well. And we look forward to, to seeing that in print. But just to give uh, our viewers a little sense of, of your lecture, and to get them ready to enjoy it even more. Tell me a little bit about dealing with culture in, in the Panamanian context. You had a number of stories uh, which basically showed that you had your theology right, but you still kind of blew it uh, yeah, because nice you couldn't communicate it, right? <laughs> uh, why don't you introduce maybe our, our, viewers, our viewers to one of those uh, yeah. stories? Well, I think the biggest one, um, probably, the, the very first one that hit me the most was the story of the young lady who lost her husband because he was assassinated by, uh, well, he was assassinated. 
Um, she and uh, her brothers and sisters were in um, Bible studies with me. We studied justification by faith and Luther's small catechism, you know, the little red one in Spanish, mm -hmm. the one with that's not so short explanation of, <laughs> of the uh, commandments and creeds and everything. And we'd been through that as a group on Wednesday afternoons. And they knew the answers to the questions. And so um, my family and I, we had to go on a furlough for two months. And when we returned, uh, found that she was in one of the clinics or the hospitals in Concepcion and that her husband had been murdered and was being buried that day. So I took off for the clinic and while there, um, she asked one of her brothers, we were standing around there, she was quite bothered by everything, really didn't go to the funeral or she was out of sorts. So she asked her brother if they put a spoon on his chest and if they tied his thumbs together. And I thought, well, you know, what could that possibly mean? Thinking, you know, it's some type of belief, but obviously didn't come up in our conversations. So the brother told me that they tie the thumbs together so that the person who killed them would not be able to leave the country and a spoon on the chest so that the person would die of hunger, would not be able to eat. So immediately going through my mind was, you know, what, what went wrong in this setting? You know, they had known the right answers. And to make a long story short, we weren't asking the right questions. And I think if we, in, in my theological training, not blaming the seminary, but just as a student studying theology, we lost sight of the social context in which theology is developed as an answer for faith, living it out in the real world. And so the answers, the questions that the catechism contained for, let's say, the second commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain, where he particularly addresses the issue of no witchcraft, which would be taking the Lord's name in vain, um, were based upon questions and answers given within the context of the United States. And, you know, in the context of the United States, witchcraft is not necessarily openly practiced or wasn't during the turn of the century, let's say, when the catechism was developed in that format, and um, it could mean superstition. But in areas where witchcraft is practiced, and the occult is practiced on a daily basis, be it santeria or whatever, um, there's many things that people do that were never addressed as witchcraft. So witchcraft is something that's like a phrase that's, let's say, a code for something that's not using the Lord's name in a good way as we learn the catechism. But for them to say witchcraft, well, you know, what is witchcraft? We don't consider this witchcraft, putting spoons on chests or tying thumbs together. That's just a way of ascertaining and getting back. It's, what's witchcraft about that? So the whole questions were different. In other words, we had answers for questions that weren't being asked. And so you had to really engage uh, the culture in its own right. Sure. Uh, you pose the question, for example, of what the catechism might actually look if it were uh, presented uh, evangelistically. In other words, what kind of questions would the catechism have to address mm -hmm. to recent converts, mm -hmm. to recent Christians, not the ones who have been Lutherans for two, three generations. Right. And so that requires a whole rewiring of the theologian in a 
different culture. Right. And your right. your lecture uh, really brings that out through any number of examples. And I really uh, encourage our viewers to take the time to go through those stories and ask, what would I do uh, in this uh, different context? So that was that was really good. I I wonder if <coughs> this interest in dealing with with culture uh, is what led you to the study of ethnomusicology. I mean, other than a love of music, uh, which you will have to have to uh, do this at a doctoral level. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are what are some of the the things that you have gathered from your study of of ethnomusicology that might actually be helpful? Uh, in terms of broad principles? Well, there's a, a, just a lot of things. that I've studied music since I was five years old um, with piano and um, actually was going to go in that before I decided to um, go into the ministry. But um, particularly music and culture, ethnomusicology, at least at the University of Indiana, is sort of cross-disciplinary studies, music as signs of communication within culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can look at it as looking at music as a system of aesthetics that communicate meaning, as, as word does. Mm -hmm. It's just a different paradigm, and as effectively. But as far as using it within, within Christendom, a lot of things, other than you know, just simplistically saying major minor tonalities or lively music or dirgish music for, for funerals, um, take, for instance, um, let's say Quranic recitation. Quranic recitation, there's, there's no other way of reciting the Quran except through cantillation. And you don't read the Quran. It's a whole system of sounds. We would call it chanting, mm. but in the Muslim community, it's not considered music. Um, and it's all unison, there's no harmony. So within the aesthetics of, let's say, music, and this is ethnic musicology, how do people talk about what is sound in their own environment? There is no harmony, long story short, because Allah is one. Hmm. And confusing the issue, um, polyphony, will bring out chaos as opposed to the oneness. Now, hmm. Hmm. take a look at that. If we yeah. would bring into a worship setting uh, polyphonic or homophonic um, uh, setting. Uh, the Lutheran totally, chorale. You're not only right? talking about music, <laughs> you're talking about the communication of diversity hmm. within religion. Um, so probably the most effective way of utilizing, if we want to call it music or sound, within a Muslim liturgical setting would be to develop those patterns of Quranic recitation, which actually are hermeneutical, the way that the Quran is recited brings out the meaning of the text through music or sound aesthetics, would be a way of developing recitation for the New Testament. Hmm. So no Lutheran chorale right away. No Lutheran yeah. chorale. No Bach. <laughs> no Bach. No drums. No, no four-part harmony. Yes. And no musical <laughs> instruments. Because yeah. in, for the Muslim in the Middle Eastern world, the use of musical instruments hmm is secular hmm. and so there's there's no place for it right. it would be an obstacle to the gospel it would to be an obstacle certain forms of music as a sign as a sign or, or yeah or of worship 
mm -hmm. the, uh, poly polyphony or musical instruments. It would have to be really, you know, particularly for Scripture mm -hmm. as God's Word. The opposite would be, uh, as to use an example, if you went in, I believe, as preaching um, the Son of God, you have a problem there, not with only the fact that God had a son, mm -hmm. but the fact that um, you depict him in art or in music. Because in the Muslim world, no art has a human figure. It's the, the art is of the word or that, that oneness, um, like in music, which is, which is Allah. Hmm. Okay. But if the Muslim conceives of God's word as becoming flesh, now coming incarnate in the world and eliminate talking about sun, there is the identifi identification of God's word, and that can be communicated through a cantillation style. That would be an effective way of communication. So communicating about scripture on their level, simplistically stated, would be through a development of, of a recitation mm -hmm. of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, thinking of the value of, of science, whether that's music or, or art or anything that might be found in the culture to communicate the gospel, one of the things that comes to mind is the uh, the apology to the Oxford Confession uh, has uh, uh, makes a distinction between signs instituted by God, which offer the sure promise of grace. So baptism, Lord's Supper, you know, absolution. Uh, you know that there is forgiveness in those. But then it distinguishes that from signs not instituted or commanded mm -hmm. by God. Mm -hmm which may nevertheless be useful mm -hmm. to admonish or teach. You found any of that uh, as a missionary? I mean, things from the culture. I think there was a story in your lecture uh, where you spoke of the fields, uh, the sugar cane sure. fields. Yeah. Uh, you know, an image from the culture. T tell us a little bit mm -hmm. about that. What, yeah. what were you trying to get across to the people? I guess, I guess first of all, I should back up because... Um, if there's a lot of theologians listening to this or theology students, the use of the word sign is very, could be confusing because of the, the um, what would be the uh, rationalistic use of sign, mm. the word or, or race and signum. Um, right. We're not talking about it in that sense. We're talking about sign as a semiotic device of communication, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. sign as an accident for a substance or something like that. Yeah, okay. Which would, could serve as what Rev. Rossow called like a gospel handle yeah. that okay. way. Uh -huh. A sign within culture, something that exists within culture that could be neutral as far as putting a Christian meaning or a Christian seed of interpretation behind it, such as... Um, in an area where there's no knowledge of gold or how gold is purified, and our faith is purified in First Peter as gold is tried, or our faith is tried as gold is purified in fire. Um, there's no concept within the context in rural Panama to necessarily talk about the refining of gold, right, but they right. do have sugarcane harvest, mm -hmm. which they burn before they harvest to take out the weeds, the rats, the mice, and everything that's impure, and then you're able to go in and harvest the sugar cane because it's not damaged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we could talk about that as uh, the, the, the weeds growing with the, 
the wheat or as Christians are being tried, like one would purify or burn the sugarcane field before harvest, mm -hmm. um, as an analogy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so the, uh, the sign in the culture helps you to communicate the gospel, the gospel, the gospel hand. Right. Yeah. What has meaning within that culture mm -hmm. is now all of a sudden has a new meaning within mm -hmm. or an added meaning, let's put it that way, um, a Christological meaning mm -hmm. in, in doing it. The same thing happened with agape in the New Testament, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was agape, but until the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper and it was agape, then you've got a whole word imbued with a whole different meaning. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, lots of exciting stuff in your research, and I really uh, look forward to the publication of this uh, fine piece of work on dealing with culture in theological formation, which uh, is coming to you uh, through Concordia Journal. And please check out the seventh annual lecture in Hispanic Latino Theology and Mission in iTunes uh, University. For uh, Concordia Seminary, this is uh, Leo Sanchez. And thanks again, Thank you, uh, Gregorio, for being yeah. with us. God bless you. Yeah, you too. Thank you.